The title of my message is Of Men and Kingdoms. Of Men and Kingdoms. I want to read to you Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. The King James Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, by the word of your gospel that we will hear and share today, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would transform us, that you would conform us to the very image of the Son of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would move on every heart in this place today, that we all, as men, as women, as members of the body of Christ, that we would desire to be leaders Leaders in our homes, leaders in our families, leaders in our circle of influence, leaders in our community. That, Lord, we would see the grace that you've poured out upon our lives and the power that you've given to us and the authority that you've given to us by your Holy Spirit and in your name that you have commanded us and commissioned us to make an impact, to make a difference, a real difference in our own lives, in our own sphere of influence, and in this earth. Father, you've called your church, you've created your church, you've birthed your church, that your kingdom would go forth, that your name would be known, and that you would be glorified. Father, do this through Christ's fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to specifically challenge men to consider their role as leaders Leaders in their home, leaders in family, leaders in Christ Fellowship Church, in the community, and in the culture. At the same time, I challenge women today to encourage men and pray for them to take a leadership role in the home and in the family, to take a leadership role in the church, to take a leadership role in the community. And in the culture, that men and women would be an example to our children and to the culture around us. In his book, The Mission of God, Dr. Joe Boot wrote this, We desperately need to recover the prophetic vision of God's word for our lives and the blessedness of living in terms of it. I would add that as we do this for our lives, we do this for the lives of others. We do it for the culture. We do it for the whole earth, in fact. We do it as the church, and we do it for the expanse of his kingdom in the earth. This is our prophetic vision, that all nations be discipled and worshiping the living God and his Christ. This, in fact, is what Jesus commanded his church when he commanded his disciples Recorded for us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That word amen doesn't mean amen. It means so be it. Or as Captain Picard would say, make it so. How do we bring this about? How do we begin? The same way Jesus did when he walked the earth. He went his way declaring a message of repentance and declaring that the kingdom of heaven is here. Too many followers of Jesus put the work of God into a box. We're tempted to think of God's work mainly as services and programs performed inside the four walls of a building we call the church. We think coming to church is an achievement, but being the church is the true test. The kingdom is to break through the walls of the church, to permeate our own lives and the lives of those around us and affect our culture and in fact affect all of God's creation. Just as sin infected the whole of God's creation, now the kingdom is to permeate and fill all of God's creation. Matthew 13, 33, another parable he spoke to them. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. We are the agents empowered by his Holy Spirit and equipped with the gospel that God has chosen to use to leaven all of the earth with his kingdom. So just like yeast you put in dough, that yeast that you put in that dough will eventually fill, it'll permeate, it'll infect the, high, the entire loaf. Jesus said that is what the kingdom is like. It's like leaven that leavens the whole loaf. We are the leaven. The church is the leaven in the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We are the carriers of God's presence. We are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the leaven in the earth by which the kingdom will fill and permeate this creation. The gospel of God's kingdom is the message we are to live, and it is the message that we are to proclaim Jesus began to proclaim the kingdom and to call men to the service of his kingdom. Jesus called disciples and empowered them to proclaim and to make known the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 4:17 through 20. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and then he said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men and they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus Mark's gospel chapter 1 verse 14 gives the same account now after John was put in prison Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel 
And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's what Jesus wants to do for all of us. He wants to make us become fishers of men, that we would take his command seriously, that we would go to the nations and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. The kingdom is not future. Christ has come and his kingdom is here and it is now. The inauguration of God's kingdom began with the incarnation of Christ. He was born, he lived, he was crucified, he died and was buried and he is resurrected and he eternally lives now. Exalted to the right hand of God the Father. N.T. Wright said it best when he wrote these words. The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is not something that is on hold and will come one day in the future when Christ comes again. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. And we are commanded to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to make disciples of all the nations, and to fill the earth with the glorious image and the knowledge of God. That is our mandate from God. That is our commission given to us by Jesus himself before he ascended to the Father. We are to pray God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. In what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the church. We are the redeemed of the Lord. He is our captain and we are his host. We are his armies in the earth. More powerful than any army past, present, or future, we are commanded to pray for God's kingdom and to go forth in his power and in his authority to establish his kingdom and his reign in all the earth. We are commanded not only to pray for God's kingdom, we are commanded to go, therefore, and establish his kingdom. You, Christ Fellowship Church, are commanded to go and to establish his kingdom right here and right now in this community, in this county, in this region, and in every place you have influence, and in every place you go. We are commanded to pray, to work, to wage war, that his kingdom come in Taylor, in Williamson County, in every place our feet tread. God promised Moses and Joshua that he would give them the land wherever the soles of their feet may tread. This is exactly what God told them. God told this to Moses in Deuteronomy and he reaffirms it to Joshua. It's recorded for us in Joshua chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. Now therefore, this is God talking to Joshua. Who is Joshua? Yahshua. God is salvation. 
This is the name of the man God gave the power and the authority to take the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua, or we would commonly call him in our language today, the transliteration would be Jesus. That's who Joshua's name really is. That's what it really means. Jesus in Hebrew is Yahshua, Joshua. And God speaks to Joshua, a type of the Joshua, the Yahshua, the Messiah, the true Savior, the true leader who would come one day. Joshua, just like Moses, just like Abraham, were types and shadows of Jesus who would one day come. Well, guess what? Jesus has come. His kingdom is here. And listen to what Jesus told Joshua as he was getting ready to lead the armies of God into the promised land. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have, past tense, I have given you, as I said to Moses... So church, I want you to hear this. God has already given us the land, just like he had already given Israel the land. They simply had to walk in and take it. Yes, there would be resistance, but God had already given them the victory in advance. God's kingdom is God's mandate for his church in the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 6, listen to this. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest, that is Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. But now, verse 6, he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Under the old covenant, Jesus, Joshua, was commanded by God to go in and take the land. Under the old covenant, God said to Moses and to Joshua, every place the soles of your feet will tread, I have already given you the land. We have a better covenant established on better promises, secured by Jesus Christ himself and sealed by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. God promised Moses and Joshua and the children of Israel a land. He gave them victory before the battle began. God commanded them to go in and take the land. But Israel did not fully obey God and they did not fully take their land. Israel did not keep their covenant with God. And the promise of God's kingdom is not now on hold waiting for the political nation of Israel to get her spiritual act together. I want you to understand that, church. We're not waiting for a future kingdom that's going to come one day. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. And we have been commanded by Jesus Christ himself to go out and cause this kingdom to expand and to fill the entire earth. That is the mandate we call the Great Commission. The promise of God's kingdom is now. The 
promise of a land and the promise of a kingdom was made to and it is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ and to all Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile who are in him. Jesus Christ has redeemed and empowered his church and has commanded us to go therefore and to make disciples of all the nations. He commands us to baptize them, to teach them to obey his commands. He commands us to be obedient to this call, to this commission. And in our obedience, we will see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught his disciples and so taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus was not meaning that we were just to sit in our prayer closets and meditate really hard and hope that magically and mystically the kingdom is just going to come upon the earth. Any more than he told the children of Israel to sit on the other side of the Jordan and magically, mystically sit in their prayer closets, in their tents, and pray really hard that the kingdom would go and fill that land and magically those people would be driven out and that land would magically be taken by the children of Israel. No, God told them, I've already given you the land, now you go in and take it. What was their response when they first went to that land? God sent, remember, he commanded Moses, and Moses sent 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He sent 12 spies into the land. They came back after spying out the land for 40 days, and 10 of the spies said, this is an impossibility. I'm going to tell you right now. The cities are too big. The people are too big. Yeah, the grapes are big, and it flows with milk and honey, and it's a great place to live, but I'm telling you what, there's too much opposition we're going to get squashed like grasshoppers. There were two of them, though, Joshua and Caleb, who said, listen, did you guys hear what God said? He said, I've already given you the land. It's the land of promise. God has promised us the land. What are we worried about? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what if there are giants in the land? Don't you believe that God is bigger than any giant. Yeah, the cities are strong, but don't you believe the city of God is stronger than the cities of men? What do you believe, church? You think we're just going to magically sit in our prayer closets and suddenly, mystically, the earth is going to be changed? No, I'm going to tell you how the earth is going to be changed. I'm going to tell you how the culture is going to be changed. It's going to be changed as we go out into it. And we are what Jesus called us to be, salt and light. That's how it's going to be changed. Jesus Christ has redeemed and empowered his church. He has commanded us to go, therefore, and to make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them, to teach them. And when we do this, his kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are born and you are born again for a purpose. If you've only been born once, you're in trouble. You better know that you've been born twice. Once from your mother's womb and once from heaven. And you were born in both of those births for a purpose. 
It is for God's purpose that you were born, and it is for God's purpose that you are born again by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is why you are here. You're not here simply, and here's where I'm going to start stepping on your toes, okay? So put them out there where I can see them. You're not here simply for your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ to the exclusion of how that relationship impacts or does not impact the people and the world around you. You're not created in a vacuum and you do not live functioning in a physical, emotional, and spiritual vacuum. You are to make a difference in this world and in the lives of those all around you. You are called salt and light. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. Jesus said this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It is then no good for nothing. But to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill. Cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp. And put it under a basket. But on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. Not glorify you, but glorify your Father in heaven. We are salt and we are light. We are in the world, but we are not the world. Sorry, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. We are not the world. Jesus said, you are salt and you are light. So Christian, get to flavoring and get to illuminating the things that are around you. Lose your fear or lose your culture. That is exactly what is happening today. We are losing our culture. We're losing our families. We're losing our children because men love themselves in their darkness more than they love Christ and his light. For many, the approval of man is more valuable than the approval of God. This is definitely true in the world. It should not be true in the church, but sadly, it is. If you have left your first love, he is calling you back. Obey his call to love him first. There should be no one, nothing that you love more than God, more than Jesus Christ. Jesus has become, in our modern era, more like a personal life coach than the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Our own comfort and convenience has become more important than his kingdom and his glory. We exalt preachers who promote a gospel centered around personal success and happiness instead of a gospel centered in the cross of Christ. We in America have long forgotten our roots. They go back to the founding fathers named Washington, Adams, and Jefferson, but they go much farther back than that. They go back to Edwards in the Great Awakening. They go back to the Puritan pilgrims of Plymouth Rock. They go back to the fathers of the Reformation. They go all the way back to the martyrs of the early church. Our roots go even farther back than that. They go back to the cross of Christ and are planted in the eternal Christ who is our rock. Christ, the ultimate martyr and final sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God on behalf of his people, on behalf of his church, both old and new, that is the root 
that's our roots. And it goes even farther back than that before the first words God ever spoke in time and space. Let there be light. We have freedom and opportunity. We have clean clothes and clean water. We have technologies and we have tacos on demand. We have smartphones and we have fast food. We have every convenience generations before us could never have imagined. We have all of that and much more because of the gospel. And we will lose all of that and much more without the gospel. I'm not pleading with you to fight for your smartphones. I'm pleading for you to fight for the sake of God's kingdom and God's glory. If the church in America, if Christ Fellowship Church, if men and women and children do not begin to make a difference for the glory of God, the culture war being waged will be lost. Listen to me. The culture war that is, that is raging and is being waged right now, if we do not begin to make a difference for the glory of God, that war will be lost. And the judgment of God that we are now under will reach its peak. And you and I will suffer under the weight of a nation fully engaged in its sin, in its rejection of the true and living God. And eventually we will die. That's just the facts, ma'am. That's the fact. Now here's the good news. The good news is that God is the God of resurrection. And even if we do experience loss, we win. Now before you get too pessimistic, I want you to remember that out of death, God brings life. Judgment is not coming. Judgment is here. The question is, will the judgment of God be, be stemmed? Will it begin to decrease? Because the church finally comes awake and alive and begins to do what she's commanded to do? Or will the church remain in her sleep and in her slumber and the judgment of God, if she does, the judgment of God will increase. There's no doubt about that. It will reach a pinnacle, a peak, to which this nation as we know it will be no more. There are Christians right now, you can watch the YouTube videos. There are Christians in the earth right now who are having their heads sawed off with dull knives. There are Christians right now being imprisoned because of the name of Jesus. Because they refuse to be quiet. Because they will not stop preaching the gospel even though the law says they must. You say, well yeah, that's happening in Iraq and Iran and places like that. No, listen, let me tell you. In Canada today, they're actively passing laws so that I cannot stand up here and say he or she that would become against the law. That we must now change our language and use gender neutral terms. 
You say, that will never happen in America. Really? You just stop and think about what's happened in America over the last decade. Forget the last hundred years. Think about the last decade, what's happened in America over the last decade, and don't tell me that will not happen here if something doesn't change. It will happen here. It's happening here. Your universities are already rewriting their, their, their curriculums. It may not be the force of law yet, but universities are instructing their professors, this is how you should talk. This is how you should teach. It just so happens that in Canada, now it's the law. And you have a professor in Canada who's not even a Christian, he's an atheist, who says, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. We're talking about a fraction of a percent of people on earth, and we're not going to change an entire language for a fraction of a percent of people. But see, it's not about that. This isn't about liberals and progressives in our universities. This goes back. This is a spiritual battle. This is not a new battle. This didn't happen just in the 20th or 21st century. This battle, this war has been raging long before this battle began in the garden when the serpent showed up and did exactly what universities and governments and progressives, we can use all the terms and labels we want, but the reality is this is a spiritual battle. And what the enemy wants to destroy is the image of God, the glory of God. Now the good news is he can't do it because he's already defeated. We're like the children of Israel. God has promised us a land and a kingdom. All we have to do is go and take it. But we're also like the children of Israel who can't get past the giants and the big cities. So we cower in fear. And we're so worried about our reputations and our convenience and our, I don't know what, that we won't even put ourselves out there to be called names or to be talked about. Listen, I'm used to being called names. I'm used to being talked about. People in this community do it all the time. Some people say good things about me. Some people don't say such good things about me. I can't worry about that, and neither can you. Because what we should be most worried about is what God says about us, what God thinks about us. We're not going to answer to the people that call us names in the neighborhood. We're not going to stand before them one day. We're going to stand before the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and he's going to say, what did you do with the salvation I gave you? Why were you afraid of the giant? Could you not see that I was bigger? We have all of these things because of the gospel. Out of death, God brings life. Here is the truth. Reformation will come. Renewal will come. Revival will come. For God has promised this. His life and his kingdom cannot be stopped. All the naysayers, all the critics, all the unbelievers can moan and cry and wave their arms. But I promise you this, they can never stop the king and his kingdom. They will not do it. So that's not the question. 
Victory has already been secured. The wicked will be judged. Right will prevail over might. Sin and death are already defeated. And all things will be put in their proper place. One day through the resurrected Christ. We win and we should never forget that. But here's another thing you should never forget. Knowing we win and living like we win are two different things. We are to know we have won, but more importantly, we are to live and to go forward in his victory because we have won. So the question we must ask ourselves is this. Let's, here's what the question is not. The question is not, is God going to win in the end? That's not the question. God's already won. How do we know? Because Jesus is not in a tomb somewhere in the Middle East. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. We win. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Will God's reformation, will his renewal and his revival come in our lifetime? Will we see the beginning of it? Will we see the groundwork laid for it? That's the question. It's not if it will come, it's when it will come. And more specifically, will it come in our lifetime, in our generation? What you choose to do with your life will determine in large part the answer to those questions. Fathers and mothers, the direction you choose to set for your family and for your children will determine much for them and for those of future generations. What each and every one of us choose to do with the salvation God has given to us has an impact on everyone around us, our co-workers, our friends, our neighbors, the strangers we meet on the street, whether you realize it or not, it has an impact. It's impacting our culture. What you buy, what you consume, what you approve of, what you disapprove of, what you voice approval of and what you voice disapproval of makes a difference. It might not seem like it makes a difference. Your vote makes a difference. Somebody texted me last night, a political candidate, sent me a text wanting to know if I could have their vote. And I texted them back and I said, absolutely not. Because you support the murder of unborn babies. I will not support any candidate of any party that supports the murder of unborn babies. And they said, well, we're just trying to put our democracy back in the hands of the people. I said, well, I'm trying to put our constitutional republic back in its proper place. You better hope we never live in a true democracy because you know what a true democracy is? It means 51% get to make the rules. Do you know what the difference between a democracy and a constitutional republic is? A constitutional republic has laws that protect minorities. And thank God. The direction, the choices... You make the direction Christ Fellowship Church chooses to set will determine much for us in the coming generations of disciples. I am commanded to equip you for the work of ministry and I am commanded to live it just as you are. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to put on, we're put on this earth to pray and to work and to wage war to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
There is a coming day, but it's not today. And what I mean by that is we have all of eternity when the war is no more. Makes me think of the Shell Crow song, All I Want to Do is Have Some Fun. Well, that's all anybody wants to do, right? All I want to do is have some fun. Why are you so hard on me, Pastor? Listen, you're going to have all eternity to have fun. You're not here to have fun right now, though I'm not against fun. And if you know me, you know that's true. Because I love to have some fun. And I'm not saying we don't have fun and we don't have enjoyment. We do. But what we call fun and enjoyment so often is temporal. It's going to pass away. And you're going to find yourself standing before the king of the universe. And you're going to have to give an account one day. What God wants you to do is find joy in serving him. Find joy in living in him. Moving in him. Having your being in him. And working to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory in that. And God wants you to find that. We have all eternity when the war will be no more. When there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more struggle, no more suffering, no more death. But that is not today. Today, all of those things are real. And men's lives hang in the balance. And the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And you've been entrusted with that gospel to go and to proclaim it and to make disciples. We talked about this in our Sunday school. We have this this idea that as long as we can get a confession uh, out of somebody, do you you believe Jesus is Lord? Will you confess him today? Will you pray with me? So you, you, you pray with that person, you get a confession from them, you mark it on your gospel six-shooter, and you go on, and you never give that person another thought. But we call that salvation. That's not what the Bible calls salvation. Jesus didn't go out and see how many, he didn't say go and see how many converts you can make in a day, and then put that in your book and keep it in your church record. He said, go and make disciples. Well, how do you make a disciple? It's more than It's more than a five-minute conversation and a prayer you have together. Discipleship is about walking together. It's about living together. It's about doing life together, experiencing the joy and the sadness. It's about the suffering and the fun. It's about growing up. Discipleship is pictured perfectly in these babies that are all around us. How does a baby grow up one day at a time? One second, one minute, one hour at a time. And how long does it take for them to grow up? Well, it takes a lifetime. Well, how long does it take to make a disciple, Pastor? Is it a two-hour course or it is a three-hour course? I I wish that even happened on a regular basis in a lot of churches. No, it's a lifetime. It takes a lifetime to make a disciple. And what I'm saying is we are, we are called to be joined together in life. To grow up together as disciples of Jesus. To go out together as disciples of Jesus and make other disciples. So God puts people in your life. He brings them across your path. 
for a reason. It's so that you can fulfill his commission and his mandate. The Bible says we're to endure hardship like good soldiers. We're not to run from, but we're to run into and embrace and conform to the sufferings of Christ. And in doing that, the Bible says we come to know the power of his resurrection. This leads to a life not void of joy. On the contrary, it leads to our fullness of joy. This kind of obedience in Christ leads to a life filled with the joy the Bible describes as unspeakable and full of glory. For this is a life lived in his presence with the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611. This is our life. This is our duty. This is the promise that I make to you today. The challenges we face in our culture today and in the generations to come are too great and too important to preach a compromised, watered-down gospel. We have to work, and we have work to do. We have a battle to fight. We have a culture to win. We have lives to save and, and nations to disciple. And those disciples are here all around us. And that transformation will not happen apart from the gospel. That is the power of God to salvation. So I promise you that I will not let a week go by that I do not remind you and provoke you and love you enough to tell you the truth. I promise to equip you for the work of the ministry so that we can begin to recapture our culture and exalt the name of Jesus for the glory of God. I promise also that this is not a quick or easy task. It will take us our lifetimes and beyond. I fully expect I will die before I see this task completed. But I want to know that whenever I die, I have done everything I can to lay the groundwork, hopefully see the beginnings of a culture and a nation turned back to God. There is no escape plan called the rapture. We're on this earth until we die. And what we do with our life, the life we have left, whether it's long or short, is to be given to God for him to redeem and to use for his glory. Your life, my life, all of our lives belong to Christ. He redeemed us by his blood if you are excited about spending eternity in heaven, I hear people say this all the time, I'm so excited one day to get to heaven. Let me encourage you, learn how to be equally excited about living life here and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get equally excited about making a difference on this earth until God calls you to your heavenly home. You are alive now. Focus on your life now. Live and work to see his kingdom fill your family, fill your home, fill your city, fill your country, fill your county, fill this earth. 
How do we begin? Well, we've already begun. It didn't start with us, and it will not end with us. But we must purpose to do our part. And you might ask, well, where and how do I start my part? And I'm going to give you the answer that was given to me. Start with what's next. See, when you hear messages like this, you're tempted to begin to think about all the big things you're going to do for God. What ministry can I get involved in? What program should I volunteer for? What? No, that's wrong. Don't think like that. When you leave here, you're more than likely going to go eat lunch. Eat lunch to the glory of God. Tip your waiter and your waitress to the glory of God. Cook your meal to the glory of God. Engage your family and your friends to the glory of God. Do all of that and do all that you do as unto the Lord. And do it for the glory of God. Go to work Monday and work for the glory of God. Engage your fellow workers, your employer, your employees, your friends and your family. Go do it for the glory of God. Don't be weird, just be Christ-like. You don't have to try to be weird. The world's going to think you're weird enough already if you love Jesus with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You can dress normal. You can act normal. But if you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul, and it begins to show through your life, don't worry. You won't have to try to be weird. They're going to think you're weird. But don't be afraid to be weird. That's okay. Take a stand for righteousness. Do it wisely and do it biblically, but do it boldly and do it willing to sacrifice yourself, your security, for his namesake. What if they call me names, Pastor? Don't worry about it. They did worse to Jesus, and they may do worse to you. But do you have the courage to endure that for the sake of the name of Jesus and the glory of his kingdom? I can't hide behind a pulpit, and you can't hide beneath the chairs. We are the church the blood-bought, the redeemed of the Lord. It is time that we say so. That's what the Bible says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's time for us to say so. Jesus is the captain of his armies, and we are them. We need to stand up and step out. We need to lose our fear of what men will think of us and begin to fear what God thinks of us. We need to stop bowing down to the unbiblical political correctness of our culture and begin to speak the truth in love. You must know the truth before you can speak the truth. So read and meditate and study your Bibles. While American preachers are preaching and writing about how we can have our best life yet, they, there are brothers and sisters literally giving their lives and their heads for Christ's sake. While we formulate growth strategies that are designed to make God more appealing and acceptable to the world in order to draw in larger crowds, we have surrendered the culture and we have surrendered to the culture to make God and the church less offensive to the world. And that is exactly what the world wants, a God just like them, a church just like them, a standard of sin just like theirs, so that there will be no difference and no conviction and no repentance needed. Much of the church is all too willing to follow that deadly path. God is judging it now, and his judgment will increase unless we repent. The answer is not insulating or isolating ourselves from the culture. The answer is is to contend for the faith within the church and to advance his kingdom as his church. We must begin salting and lighting all that is around us. 
Christ Fellowship Church will not follow the way of compromise or isolation. We choose to stand against the tide and to strive by God's grace to be a beacon of light and life in a world filled with death and darkness. For sure, we are not the only beacon, but we are only responsible for our own house and for how bright our light shines. I pray we all take that responsibility seriously. I pray on that day you stand and give an account to Jesus Christ. You will hear him say, enter in my good and faithful servant. You have been given the truth. What will you do with it? Choose wisely. With that, let's come to the table. The table of God's grace. The table of thanksgiving. We come to this table not because we are perfect, not because we've got all this down and we're doing all this. We come knowing that we are sinners, knowing that we are hopeless in ourselves, knowing that our only hope is Jesus Christ and the grace and the forgiveness that he gives to us. But out of that grace and forgiveness given to us, we are commanded to rise up and to go in his name and conquer for his glory. So as you trust in Jesus, come to the table. We are charged to consider the decisions that are before us today. Decisions that will affect us all, our families, our friends, church, the very world we live in, the very nation we live in. Every time we hear the gospel, we have a decision to make. What will we do with the salvation God has given us? Will you bury it and bring it out on the day of your judgment? Or will you take it and invest it and see an increase of his kingdom? That is the decision each of us must make. That is the decision each of us are faced with each and every day. That decision could be about doing things different or it could be about doing different things. It may be as simple as beginning to do the things normally and rightfully done each day with fresh eyes and fresh vision to see God's opportunities, God's kingdom opportunities all around each and every day. Opportunities we live and work and play. Making disciples is not complicated, it's just hard work. We're not to do that work alone, it's just, just as we are not to walk out our faith alone. Seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven can be manifest in how you change diapers, wash dishes, or clothes, or windows. It can be manifest in how you pray and intercede, how you give, or how you involve yourself in your church and community, how you invest yourself in your family and your friends. Will we live lives like warrior kings and priests committed to the glory of King Jesus? Or will we, will you, live like the rest of the world? God charges us to choose wisely and to choose right. That is what is before us each and every day. I have faith, Christ Fellowship Church. 
You will not only choose wisely, you will choose right, and you will rise to the occasion, and we will make a real difference in this community. Amen.